What yeah. what were the key things that you found need to be unlearned to reach that sense of 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 self? And and how did you come about those learnings, or how was that supported by by the research? Yeah. So from neuroscience and from this particular uh, researcher and field, and and the things that I learned, um, there's a there's one theory which is called, you know, and. To, just to go back briefly to the philosophical side, one of the things that I unlearned was this idea that neuroscience is very factual and very fixed, and this is the definitive truth about, you know, the body and, and, and neurons and so on. And actually, discovering that it's much more provisional and much more theoretical, and we're just trying stuff. And so, you know, one of the one of the leading theories about how we experience reality in ourselves is from something called predictive coding, which is this idea that everything that we're perceiving, we're, we're kind of referring back to a working model of what the world is like, what ourself is, consists of, what the future will be like. And so what we could say from that is there is no fixed reality. There is no objective, um, you know, fixed uh, stable reality, but rather that we all have models, we all have uh, working assumptions about what is real, what is true. And so these uh, working assumptions, these, these models of reality come from our body, so our abilities, our body shape, the sensory experience that we have. And what I find useful to think about is how different an understanding of self and world a fox might have from an owl just because they have a completely different body shape, different senses, the owl could fly. So our, our, our sense of what's real is informed by what we can perceive, what our bodies uh, experience, the nervous system that we have, the nervous systems of our caregivers. And as you mentioned before, the kind of epigenetic, uh, I think it goes back 14 generations of of data that we're that are in us, right? And then we're also informed by our past experiences. So these are not just the memories that we can recall on a cognitive level, but yeah, the, the fact that our nervous system is our primary memory storage. I'm drawing on trauma a bit more here. But um, so those past experiences will shape the expectations that you have about what you're going to be experiencing or what things mean. We're also socialized into certain meanings and expectations and values and what to focus on and what's important and who we're supposed to be and what it's okay and not okay to do with our bodies. And then also our tools. So we think with and we have agency that's extended or enabled or disabled by the tools that are around us. Uh, and that shapes what our understanding of our, of our world is and who we are. So this, I think, is a really helpful perspective because when we're considering the ways that we may have been labelled or categorised, uh, there, there's a, an assumption in a lot of um, mainstream and clinical understanding that there is a fixed reality, that there is a, a, a normal human, and, yep, and uh, that... You know, and I think unraveling this idea that there is this fixed reality that it's possible to be objective means that you can start to look at all of knowledge, all of communication as as a theory and as a, a working model of reality and that 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 are not of, often not compatible. 
So if you have a different body, if you are literally perceiving different things, you're going to need a different working model to make sense of your experiences than what is available in a lot of the kind of common social communication, which is a lot around shortcutting our models like, oh, how did you get that job? Or, you know, what do you think is important? Or what did you think of this program? But also, you know, um, there are different ways of knowing that aren't uh, necessarily widely distributed or resourced that we don't have tools for yet and that don't, um, yeah, that we don't get to, that haven't fully been extended in ways that I think would would enable and create a lot of agency for people who do think differently, who do experience the world differently. In terms of other things to unlearn, I think um, there's a lot around being wrong, being not enough, and that 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 is um, a common belief, a common um, a, a deep seated belief that a lot of the people I work with, I think everyone that I work with, and I think most humans actually, we've we've gathered up these rules for what is okay and not okay to be. And a lot of us have, have experienced that the natural ways that we express ourselves are not quite fitting or not wrong or don't get us what we want or don't um, lead to belonging. And so we kind of construct these false selves and these um, false egos to navigate that. And so, yeah, unlearning that there's a fixed reality, unlearning that there's a correct way to be and um, unlearning that something like autism uh, is a fact and is a, a you know a clinical uh, you know a thing that can be a reliable um, objective unbiased thing when when actually you know it came out of the Nazi era when psychiatrists were rewarded for finding these categories of difference and yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot to unlearn there's a lot to unpack and I think yeah the understanding that that no one is right and that we don't need to argue to be right and we just need to okay what am I thinking about myself and start there that is so 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 true and I I was just I was just thinking about you know there's as as we talk more and more about neurodivergency I, I I've seen recently there there's been kind of more pushback on um over over clinicalizing thought patterns and personality and so many people go well, that that's just a personality aspect it's not about neurodivergency so on and so forth and having that context of of, of knowledge firstly of where the medical institutions have have got this information from don't get me started on bmi um yeah. is is huge but also just that understanding that it doesn't it doesn't essentially matter yeah it doesn't have yeah yes yeah whether we are right or wrong we exist right so and i i wonder is how how often um have you come up against gender also as as one of those things because as you were speaking i was just thinking how how much those those things must apply to gender and specifically, you know, um, you, you mentioned some of your clients are trans and non-binary, you know, how 
I've also seen some some recent research. I, I I don't know how reliable it is again because it's not just it's been research. Um, <laughs> there is uh, a higher likelihood of within neurodivergent folk of being trans and non-binary. Yeah, how that might be related to the way that we we believe or think differently and we have different senses of self i just wonder if that's something that you've you've touched on at all yeah i mean i i i think we can theorize and we can look at why and i think as you said just now it's actually the wrong question and and we exist and so the question really is how do we make a world that's um more embracing and makes us more possible i think what i do um introduce in the group is that we need to look at the ideological roots of where all of these, you know, binary systems come from, where this classification comes from. And we can trace it back 2000 years, probably longer, um, and really look at the development of knowledge uh, as a primarily, you know, I'm talking about Western um, knowledge in the global north, a lot of it has its roots in uh, a very white male dominated lineage uh, that goes through imperialism, colonialism, eugenics. And so there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do before we even look at these binaries around the separation of body and mind, the separation of nature and human, um, the idea that the Enlightenment era um, philosophers had that you know nature is this domain out there that um that we can you know that that we govern and that we need to kind of uh irritate it in order to discover the the laws of physics and you know you can see how these ideas might have been coming when uh you know and this idea that we're on this linear timeline of progress that, that there's a there's a hierarchy you can see that it, with the backdrop of imperialism and the brutality that was being exported why those ideas were you know being come up with by those who were oh, just needs to yeah <laughs> like, yeah literally yeah literally everything yeah yeah and the you know the binary of ill versus cured yeah um dependent versus independent we're all dependent on each other it's just that some of us have less common dependencies and so the fact that you and i are depending on laptops and computers and Zoom software to make this conversation happen, whereas someone else has a different dependency to, you know, do what they need to do. And yet, because it's under-resourced, because it's different, it carries this stigma. So yeah, there's a lot of unlearning to do. And I think coming back to trusting your own body and your own sense of self and finding spaces where that can be affirmed can be the most transformative incredible it's just it's there's just so there's so much i could have started like five other conversations in the middle of that answer <laughs> not going to i'm going to stick to my questions and <laughs> linear timeline that i'm working yes for this book yeah um can you can you give us an example of how you help and advise your clients to do that because that's massive yeah, not, that's no small feat by any means because it's not. It's not even just unlearning one system or or binary idea. Which, by the way, if anyone is interested in exploring the binary further, um, there's a wonderful episode with Isabel Bale who um, 
just did an incredible incredible paper on this and has wonderful great thoughts and that's in the archive so please do listen to that if you haven't already but anyway yeah you see um i i wonder how you kind of even how do you even start going about that what like how do you help them to use you know whether it be their strategic thinking skills or what other personality traits they have to actively enrich their lives or their careers or their work or how it's a really good question yeah um so part of part of it is um there's materials there's resources there's uh, a course that that all of the people that I work with in the group um coaching program that I have they they get access to that does some of that um so there's there's an element of okay just you know having that intellectual acknowledgement and, and the theoretical acknowledgement but in terms of a, a a practical approach that we that I use is it starts with knowing what you want and then when we start to think about okay if i'm really being true with myself about what i want is when all of the stuff that we've learned that's in our way comes up and this is like every time that we're trying to create something new or we're trying to become a new version of ourselves or we're trying to just exist more honestly and more truthfully there's going to be parts of us that have internalized these ideas of what we're supposed to be or I'm supposed to look like this to be professional or I'm supposed to um you know we have all these rules and so when we when we identify what we want and then we look at all of the reasons why not so many of those reasons are genuine barriers but some of them are um some of them are real yeah real barriers in the world but some a lot of it is what am I making that mean about me how have I decided that that means I'm less worthy of what I want and really creating more and more safety to step outside of those rules to step outside of what the examples that we've had and um in our bodies to create the safety to do that and then also work on the mindset of you know what's coming up for me in my thoughts about, about why not one of my coaches said to me you can have reasons or you can have results and that's always stuck with me because whenever there is a reason that i have of why not me or why this isn't possible or i don't get to have this uh, i you know i can look at that as okay i can i can let that be the reason i don't or i can I can decide that that's not going to be a, a reason I let be the reason I don't do it. And yes, it might mean uh, a, a level of courage that I'm not yet stepping into. It might mean doing things where I feel self-conscious or I feel like I'm learning publicly and I'm going to make mistakes. And yeah, so a big part of it is, is courage. So knowing what you want, that throws up what we then work on. Yeah. That's because what yeah. do what do what do we want under all of those layers of of standing? <laughs> wow, that is. I feel like I'm in therapy. I'm like <laughs> my that little emoji where the brain just like explodes. Um, yeah, fascinating and very related to my next question actually, which is I know one of the things that you come across a lot, um, and unsurprising for me, is is burnout and, and overwhelm. Um and 
neurodivergent yeah. or not I think we can all relate to that especially in the creative industries um, for for what for is there any kind of specific reasons or or mindsets that you feel happens to 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 cause that or is there a there a key thing that you found that can can really help um to think about or or to work on to to negate those you know massive massive issues which are personally huge but also our entire industry is is having kind of a burnout epidemic so i feel like that's an important thing for us to to chat about yeah so so burnout really is coming from when we push over and beyond our own limits and those limits may be um they may be sensory they may be things like that they may be kind of fixed limits that are just always going to be there but a lot of them are that we've been over adapting we've been thinking i have no choice but to over adapt um that i'm supposed to push past my own limits in order to belong in order to please my caregivers in order to fit in with this industry in order to look like i'm succeeding and so it's really about recognizing that we all have um a, a different state in which our nervous system is in collectively we we're all you know coming to terms with this i think and recognizing that um yeah that we we have what's called a window of tolerance and that pushing ourselves beyond it into disconnects actually doesn't doesn't work for long term and there's a there's a there's a cost right so yeah burnout is is when we're not honoring those limits when we start to honor those limits when we start to recognize that we do have a choice and there are other options and that we are our health is more important than anything else and start to come back into them start to say no when we mean no instead of yes um is when we can start to grow that capacity again so burnout is your body has something to say and um i think what a lot of people experience is that oh if i if i listen to it that means i'm going to have to acknowledge that i just can't do any of this or i'm going to have to um face what my body is saying then it's saying that i that this isn't working and then i have to stop and that and what we do is we project that into the future and we think that we'll never be able to do it that we'll never be able to get back up and so a really big part of um coming out of burnout and healing it is is honoring the no that your body is saying but knowing that it's temporary and knowing that it's only through um through yeah coming into a new relationship with with those signals internally that you can start to expand your capacity for what you can stay with yourself through what you can stay self-connected through without coming into disconnects and disassociating your way through life and yeah <laughs> that's, that's absolutely a really lovely way of putting it in, in that you know as soon as you start to acknowledge what you actually want and and say no to what you don't want that you're actually opening yourself up further you're not because I think that's one of the things we I mean I'm speaking from my personal experience of of, of burnout is I go well I can't do it so I've got to do less yeah and it is less in one sense but at the same time by saying 
no and 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 pulling back from certain aspects you're actually broadening yourself up to those all those other wonderful things that you actually really do love and you actually really do want it's not about becoming less it's just about focusing where you want to be and sometimes we sometimes we don't want to admit to ourselves what we really want or that what the path that we're going down isn't working because we know that on some level the path that we do want is going to require us to step up to who we could be and and another level of courage and that's really scary and so yeah recently I keep thinking about um the sunk cost fallacy that you know we so often keep doing things that don't serve us because we essentially think that we're in too deep and so if we get out now you know we've 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 lost everything that we've that we've worked for as if that hasn't meant something because it didn't end up how we were originally would yeah and I can yeah it's I think that's one of the things that we absolutely have to deal with when it when it comes to accepting what we actually want yeah um but I personally have found it helpful to know that it's a psychological thing that everyone has to deal with yes not just me yes yeah and but it can be helpful also to to be around people who are you know, also going in the direction that you want to go in or who have, have gone some way or who understand that that's that struggle in ourselves of I'm really scared, but I want to do it. But every single step I'm taking is is pushing me way outside of my comfort zone and I'm just going to go at the pace I need to, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're nearly at the end, but our, our theme at at Media Cat this month is um, it's a good one actually is is stand and fight, and it's about exploring that that exact line between cutting our losses and fighting for something. And I just I wondered if there was any any thoughts and feelings that you had about that from from your specific experience and your clients' experiences on on there being specific things that you know you found we often need to let go of. We've discussed some of them. But, you know, in the context of, of that theme, is there anything else that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many, there are so many things that we can choose to fight for right now. And we've we've touched on some of them, right? Access needs, um, the, the, the social and gendered and racial inequities of getting diagnosis, but also just, you know, in the workplace in general. And I think that's obviously... A really important fight. I think what a lot of the people I work with um, start with is this really heightened sense of justice where they've been looking for what are the rules that mean I'm acceptable and what is right and I need to be that and how come I'm being asked to be all of these things and yet there's, there's all these people that, that say they're here to serve me or that they're here to protect me or and they're not doing what they're doing and so we can come into this sense of, of feeling really at war with the whole world, uh, feeling this sense of injustice. And I think also when we come to, um, you know, if you've gone for a lot of your life not knowing that you're neurodivergent and then you suddenly realise you also have to process um, and work through all of the internalised ableism that that you're, we're indoctrinated into, which can look like um, an over-identification with everyone who... Uh, uh, shares our 
uh, assigned identities or or labels or chosen identities. And so a lot of where I'm actually bringing people to is choosing your battles. And there is somewhere in the world where your strengths meet a need that is uniquely yours. That is the fight that you can fight. And that's the one to focus on. And when you start doing that, there's an incredibly liberating sense of trust that there is someone else who is doing their bit. I'm This is my piece of the world that I'm solving. And, and there are other people that are also working on their part. Um, and, you know, being open to all of the unlearning and, and the, the understanding of the identities that we don't hold. Um, and then I think another another thing is is letting go of the idea that we need to be accepted before we can start being who we are, which is a very difficult one because on a structural level, on an access needs level, in a workplace, yes, it's acceptance, it's safety. But on an interpersonal level, we're often looking for the self-esteem that is missing in other people's reactions to us, in social esteem, in the in in what we're afforded from other people and how they see us or how we have been accustomed to thinking that people see us. Often we collect up um, ideas of who we are and these become these stories. This is who I am. This is how people see me. And But those are really um, stories that we've kept telling ourselves, that we've identified with. So anytime that you're thinking this is who I am and you have an image or you have an idea of, of yourself, it's really just a, an illusion. It's a, a collection of thoughts and ideas. And so having a different relationship with how you think about yourself and how you honor your own needs, how you look after um, you know, the, your own energy and time is where you start to build up self-esteem. And then it's about finding people who can affirm those choices. And that is then how you grow and start to create and be a, 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 a leader, an example of modeling the social esteem that you've needed. So you become the teacher through how you are being towards yourself. And I think actually that's the most powerful way to influence and to stand and fight is there are things I want to do. There's a person that I am here here to be, and I'm going to honor that and stand for that. And it's amazing what happens when people start to do that is some of those barriers that they've been fighting with, some of the ways that they hadn't felt seen, just start to melt because people are like, oh, okay, you're just being who you are. And you're safe in that and you're and and so suddenly I feel safe that I'm maybe not perfect or that I can be who I am and and there's a, a ripple effect so it's yeah it's it's the mixture of both when we do that inner work is when we become the people that can start to influence and make change fuck <laughs> I I the first interview tonight make me cry <laughs> oh I felt that felt that deeply oh my goodness wow um so i'll just shout out a few of my clients there's a um one of them gem whose uh experience of school was really like 
a difficult one who experiences this idea that you need to be right, that there's a skill that you need to have, that there are think ways of doing things, and they're creating this new, um, uh, you know, philosophy around giving workshops so that they're teaching soca skills, but they're doing it in a way that is it's about, um, and that they would explain this so much better than me, but creating a space where it's not about getting it right and mm. it's not about building a skill but it's there's something else that starts to become possible wow um i have another client who's creating a neuroqueering network um and they've really gone from someone who really felt cut off from society and separate to really bit standing up and, and and leading and starting to create cultural spaces and networks and so yeah it's it's why I'll never stop doing this because of what I'm starting to see happen and 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 who people become when they've had the experience of, yep, I'm another human seeing you and, you know, they feel seen and they feel understood and acknowledged and then supported and it, it's like it's shifting an entire, shifting the, it's like a quantum leap, right? It's like a, a shifting the entire paradigm of everything that's happening around them in a very subtle, slow, uh, but but deep way, yeah. Well, I have no more words other than well. Uh, <laughs> we we will also link in the show notes to to some of the some of the work that that is being done by your clients because that sounds. Oh yes, that'd be amazing. Uh, Thank you. And so before before we leave, I wanted to speak to all the the leaders and the employers out there because obviously you have this in you know depth of 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 knowledge and understanding from a from a personal and a professional point of view if and it's a gross oversimplification that I'm asking this question oh I am I am aware of that but you know is there is there anything that that you feel are kind of most powerful kind of fundamental behavior changes or or things that employers or leaders can really do to help specifically the neurodivergent but in 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 general all of their team kind of nourish that that culture and that creativity and and help them be help people be themselves in 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 not as good way as you because obviously everyone should come to you but you know that little steps that they can take that might have have major impacts on on how happy and fulfilled and 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 well their their employees and and teams are doing yeah i mean i think first of all to acknowledge that it's a really difficult thing to um support and cater for because you know we are in companies we're in businesses and we're all trying to you know there's an element of needing to make it work so that there are jobs and that there are deadlines sometimes and there are things that are necessary. And I think the most important thing is also understanding neurodivergence encompasses this enormous range of very different lived experiences, even within the distinct categories themselves. Uh, there is no one way of being. And I think that can be really you know, bewildering and, and confusing to someone who maybe doesn't identify in that way. And so maybe the most important thing is is knowing that there isn't a catch-all a catch solution, that some access needs are incompatible. And that, yeah, what we've talked about really is that the culture of safety comes from a culture of 
of people knowing that they can ask for things to be different and that that be an explicitly welcomed thing and understood that this isn't an inconvenience or an add-on, but it, it can be really infused in everything that, that the company does um, so that it means that there might be one person who who needs less visual distraction and another person who likes to verbally process, uh, someone who doesn't work well with fluorescent lighting, someone who needs a flexible time schedule, someone who's struggling with mental health, um, someone who needs boundaries around when and how people interact with them or distract them, different ways of Zoom call facilitation. Like it's an endless list, right? So the best person to decide what what is needed is the individual. And and I think uh, creating a culture of access comes from the top down and from those in leadership, uh, really understanding um, what can be done to ensure that there are very explicit channels of communication where those things can be asked for Um, and maybe having a budget for it. Who knew? (laughs) Shocker. Yes. (laughs) Shocker though, might want to be included. But I mean, I, I... I absolutely feel that, and I had a had a sneaky suspicion that that that's what you were you were thinking. So thank you for validating my my similar opinion. Yeah. Is fundamentally people need to be able to ask for what they want. But I think one of the things that a lot of people, neurotypical or otherwise, sometimes misunderstand is how key that psychological safety is in enabling that to happen. You can't just ask for what you need half the time we don't even know what we need as we've already discussed (laughs) yes yes (laughs) i wish it was that simple really yeah but it's not it's humanity yes and i think also like there there's policy right there's there's these ideas that it's you know we're supposedly protected by the law to request reasonable adjustments and i think it's it's like 10 percent of what needs to happen i think reasonable is is a is a tricky language to work with. Adjustments is a tricky word as well. And we, you know, it's not reasonable. It's not really about reasonable adjustments. It's about an entire culture shift and recognising that that leads to more creative, more productive. You know, if if we are looking at producing in, under capitalism, there, there are benefits, but that's that's not why we want to do it. Yes. Yes. Um, and so before I launch into yet another tangent, I'm, I'm going to go with my last <laughs> which brings it back directly to the purpose of the pod for me, which I've also now realised is just me creating safe spaces where I've been able to validate myself yes. to other people. Um, <laughs> well, there we go. Um, how how do you think that, that utilizing those strategic thinking skills utilizing those inherent parts of of personality can can actually enrich creative work and are there any kind of actionable steps that you encourage people to take to do that yeah so i think um there's a there's a a big part of how when you have a structure you feel actually contained and safe to play and um, sometimes a lot of, the, of the, the stress that we're experiencing is actually from a lack of planning, a lack of structure and, a, and then a lack of containment. Um, I remember 
years ago reading an interview with Bjork and she said she was, this is a complete paraphrasing because I can't remember where or exactly what the words are, but she said that she's 50% business or strategic thinking and 50% creative. And that was a big light bulb moment for me of like, oh yeah, no, that, that side is, is so key. And, um, and I think, you know, especially when you're doing something with creativity, what you're doing is creating something that didn't exist. And so a plan, a structure helps you start to believe that it's possible. So something that I do with my clients is I start getting them to think, this is after we've done a lot of work is, and, and they're starting to recognize, oh no, there's this bigger thing that I want to do in the world, is to work in three different time frames. One is three-year goals and three-month goals and then next steps. And I think three-year goals, it feels far enough off that there's a lot of spaciousness. It feels like there's a lot that's possible. And then three-month goals, it bring, brings it right down into, okay, tangibly what's possible what can I actually get done in the next three months, which feels like a lot less? Um, and then what is our next step? And I think so much of what neurodivergent exp- people experience is, is the, the given paths didn't work and they're looking for how. And so what I bring them to is we don't need to know how, we just need to know what and why. And let the why fuel the fact that we're going to have to try a bunch of different stuff. And so often we we think of all of the steps. We have this big vision. We're like, oh, I can see all of the pieces. And we start going into the how. We start imagining all of those pieces. And we get completely overwhelmed. And we haven't even started. And we've, we've stopped, right? Sounds so, yes. So resisting, imagining all of the steps, staying staying with the vision, understanding and really rooting in the energy of why, why does this need to exist in the world? Why am I doing this? Why do I care about this? Why is this important to me, to the people I'm working with? Um, And then that naturally opens up and shows you, okay, what's the next thing I need to do towards that? And those next steps is what increases the belief rather than attaching your belief to, oh, this way will work. Or if I follow this path or this example, yeah. fascinating not least because so much of that language crosses over with how we in the industry literally describe strategy how we literally do it nice. which makes complete sense because we're trying to tap into human behavior and insight and yeah. and so of course it's completely applicable to us as individuals but also to the work we do yeah yeah, oh, head blown emoji again. I, I <laughs> have already run over and I could go for ages, but I want to leave everyone wanting more of you. So thank you, Louisa, for coming on on the podcast. This has been quite literally mind blowing. Um, I really, really personally and professionally um, appreciate and, and, and respect and love what you do. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for creating such a, a welcoming and safe space to have all of this discussion and also, you know, what you're doing with the podcast in general. I think it's really helping people feel seen and understanding that there are examples and representation and um, struggles that we all go through that that it's not just, it's not, we're not alone in those. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Mm-hmm.